So here's what we're hoping for today, okay? We're still going through Genesis. We're Genesis 6 today, 6, 1 through 6. And there's plenty in these few verses to take notes on, if you're a note kind of person. We actually even have some note pages available if you want it. If you are not a note person, no guilt, okay? You don't need to take notes. But if you are one, we've got a space for you to do that. Um, And I would encourage you to do that. Uh, What we're hoping for today, uh, we're going to go a a little bit longer than an hour, okay? You don't have to stay for the whole thing. But what we're going to do is I'm going to give a little sermon on this text, give us a few things to think about, and then we have a couple breakouts like we've had before. I'm going to sit with some people. If you have questions about the theology or about the actual like language stuff, not that I know Hebrew, but I, I, I read like way too many pages this week. So we'll, we trust other people's stuff. Um, but if you have questions in that lane and you want to be in that group, uh, you can come with me afterwards. If you have questions on just practical application and you want to apply some of this and hear deeper questions, Wendy's going to take another group. Um, if you want to reflect in some prayer, we have a prayer activity set up that we're going to use for the next couple weeks. Uh, and if you just want to go, God bless you early. Um, that's okay. Whatever you need to do is what you need to do, okay? Um, but for the next two weeks, we're going to tackle this big topic called theodicy. That's the fancy word for it. A professor I had named James Bruckner has this great definition that I want to give you. He said it's the explanation of the persistence of evil in a world that God loves and that God can act in. So if God loves and if God can act, why is there evil and why is there so much of it? That's what we're going to talk about the next two weeks um, because that's where Genesis goes. And we're going to follow scripture. Now, real honest... As a pastor, I don't like talking about evil, and I don't necessarily even like talking about sin much, because some pastors really like talking about evil and really like talking about sin. And I think in reaction to in response to them, I end up under-talking about it. But thankfully, we're following the text here, and the text goes here. Now, oftentimes, when we come to topics like theodicy, when we come to topics like evil, like sin, what we do is we work to get a really simple and concise answer, right? We want to know what it is or why it is. Well, the next two weeks, we're going to do the opposite. We're going to actually just ask more questions. We're going to actually just let it be what it is. And we're going to explore and ask questions. And I don't have answers because I don't have them. So I'm not going to pretend that I do. And instead, we're just going to explore this together and see what comes, knowing that Jesus is Emmanuel, knowing that Jesus is with us. We're going to ask whatever we ask. Okay, so we're going to use if you were with us in slow invasion, uh, you know, I love Howard Thurman. He has this quote that I think of probably 15 times a week. He says, one may find it extremely helpful to discover a clothesline on which all of one's feelings and thoughts and desires may be placed. Now, I would also say our beliefs may be placed on this clothesline. And the idea of it is that we put our feeling, our thoughts, 
our desire, our belief on a clothesline and just let the air, let the spirit breathe through it. We don't define it. We don't. It's okay if we don't know. We just let that thing air out. You ever have something that just needs to air out? That's what this is. And that's what we're going to do for the next couple weeks. So Stephanie made us a beautiful clothesline over here. When you walked in, you may have been handed a piece of paper clothes. That's what this is. Okay. And we're just going to play together. I'm going to walk over and hang the first piece up. And the first piece is just this whole idea of theodicy. If God loves the world and God can act, why does evil exist? We're going to just think on that for a couple weeks. And I don't think we're going to end in a place that's like really heavy and sad. I hope not. Though I think we need to visit places that are heavy and sad. Real quick caveat. The world has so much of that that sometimes the church escapes. And like, let's not talk about grief. Let's not... But then we don't have any place to grieve. If we take that out of the church, we have no place where we can pause and say life shouldn't be this way. That person shouldn't be gone. You know what I mean? So let's not be afraid to go there uh, because someone in the room might need that. And and God's good. So let's pray because we need God to guide us the next couple weeks and and then we'll look at this text. Uh, Holy Spirit, I know that we are not too much for you, individually or collectively. I know the grief, the sadness, the suffering, the oppression, the brokenness in this room is not too much for you. And I pray that we would have the courage to not let it be too much for us. And so guide us through these texts online and in this room. May we feel you near. In your name. Amen. Okay. So that was a really long and not very positive intro. But we'll go. Uh, Genesis 6, 1 through 3. And this is actually the one that I picked for us is out of the New Living Translation. And if you go with me after, I can tell you why. Uh, I'm trying to simplify it here and then that's what we're doing. Okay. So in the New Living, it says, Then the people began to multiply on the earth, and daughters were born to them. And the sons of God saw the beautiful women and took any of them they wanted as their wives. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time. For they're only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. Okay, a few things that we missed by jumping to here. We missed some genealogies. And I would argue genealogies in the Bible are worth reading. Don't just skip them, though we just skipped them. Uh, They're worth reading because they're there in part to remind us that this is not a story of a bunch of nations. This is a family. This is a family's legacy. This is a family story passed down generation to generation to generation. We know of many people in the genealogy. We know of their story. It's a story of, of this thing really fracturing. You remember when we looked at Genesis 3, it was... It was a a fracture of a relationship with God, then a relationship of the family with Cain and Abel. Now we're seeing this whole societal fracturing and really an an othering of like, though you're my distant cousin, I'm acting like you're a complete other nation that I have no like tie to. And that wasn't God's intent. 
We know as God brings things back together in, in the New Testament, we are sisters and brothers. That's the intent. We're like the, a giant, swollen, extended family. That's what humanity is. And we're reminded of that here. And then this, this phrase, their lifespan will be no more than 120 years. Uh, we can get into some specifics on that. But if you look at the genealogies, they lived a really long time, like 900, 700 These numbers that make a lot of people feel like no way could this genealogy be honest. But let's let's for a moment just say that it is the time is told the same way that that all of that part of what we're seeing here is is that God limits and, and we'll get to it in a moment. But God limits as an act of grace. It's an act of grace. He's like, you're not going to oppress for 900 years. We're going to limit this at 120 Many scholars are, are saying that this is, as we distance from Eden, death becomes more the norm. This longer life is less the norm. But here's a couple things. This section is much debated and often not preached because you can't really resolve it. The who's who and what happened exactly, we don't know exactly. So you see, the readers knew some things that we don't. And they knew some things that they didn't need to have explained to them. So he, let me give you an example. I, I like, I grew up watching Saturday Night Live. Did, did you all watch that growing up? Okay, I'll admit, I still like to watch it. I don't stay up late. I watch it on Hulu later in the week when I'm awake. But I still like to watch it. And there's something funny about like Weekend Update where that becomes a news source of what's happening during the week, right? Well, this week I sat and watched an episode from season five of Saturday Night Live when Steve Martin came as a host. And I understood zero of what happened in that episode. There wasn't a single thing that I understood except when he did physical comedy. I thought that was hilarious. But every name, I was like, who's that? The, the places, I don't know where that is. The technology they're using, like, I, I, don't, I don't know. You could be on a different planet from me. I don't know anything that you're talking about or doing. But the people who first watched season five of Saturday Night Live, none of it had to be explained to them because they got it. When I watched this last night's episode, I'll understand it because I lived last week. But if somebody, if my great, great, great granddaughter watches it, she's going to be like, great, great, great grandpa. What is that all about? Because it doesn't make sense. And sometimes we get to points in Scripture where the audience understood. It didn't need to be spelled out because they knew. But it needs to be spelled out for us because we don't. So like this phrase, sons of God. They knew. This phrase that we get in verse 4, Nephilim. They knew. Comes to us and we're like, "Ah, whoa, what are you talking about? What is this? And we have to look for clues and cues and in other writings and all of that kind of stuff, right? But that's, that doesn't mean the text is, is bad. That means it just didn't come with a cipher that would explain it to like thousands of years later. But we get to do some work, and I'm going to just tell you what I probably believe is the most likely situation here, okay? So the phrase sons of God, I think it's most likely, there's three possibilities, but I think it's most likely that this is a phrase given to rulers at the time given to kings. We know that different kings in different cultures at this time 
would call themselves sons of God or would call themselves God, right? We know this in like if you've read Exodus. We know that the Pharaoh was seen as a God. We know that other places were seen as sons of God. And so I would say that this is a plural for kings that are in power, that there are many kings in power at this time. And they saw themselves as sons of God. I do think this is a little bit of a play as well by the author of Genesis to call these kings sons of God. Because what they are doing, well, in that, there's already separation. There's already class, right? There's already somebody ruling and somebody else ruling and already fighting over this. And there's already oppression. And this sin that is so offensive to God here is that the rulers flex their authority in really vulgar ways. At this time, rulers had what was called the right of first night. You probably have heard of of this. At this time, they had harems that people did not choose to be in. And they just took the daughters of man. If they thought they were beautiful, they just took them. And God saw this as appalling. God looked at this oppression and he responded. And so for us, I think it's worth us doing the same. To be honest about oppression. To actually look at oppression. To look at different questions on it. To not quickly resolve it all, but ask questions. Why is it allowed? And who allows it? What's my role in it? Pretty much everything is about economics. So how, how is the economy supporting this and allowing it to happen? What goods come into my home that keep oppression alive? And what is God inviting me to do about it? Sometimes that's a task. Sometimes a task is a great way to distract yourself from feeling. And so we do stuff so we don't have to feel it. We see here that God responds. He limits the reign of a dictator. You're only going to be 120 years. You'll get to oppress for 700 years. There's going to be hope on the other side. This is a means of grace to not leave this oppression longer. And if you remember from last week that we talked about this two weeks ago, God still trusts us. Remember when sin is lurking at the door and God trusts us to choose the right thing. God still believes in us. That we can be image bearers and image bearers above everything else. But he's feeling this. This way that we treat one another. And this oppression. All right, Genesis 6, 4 through 6. I have it in the NRSV. It says, the Nephilim were on earth in those days and also afterward, when the sons of God went into the daughters of humans who were bore children in them. These were the heroes that were of old, warriors of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of their heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. Okay, so this word Nephilim, 
It's a weird word. I, I think it really, I, best I can tell, reading a bunch of different scholars' opinions, these were giants. These were big people. These were warrior people. These were powerful people. We, we see later uh, in the text, later in Numbers 13, that, that typical-sized humans were afraid of the Nephilim. They're, they're the big people in the land of Canaan. In verse 5, we see that wickedness was so great that every inclination was only evil continually. So we have this idea of, of evil here, right? And this idea of only evil continually. Right away, if you're like me, you're like, really? Continually? Are, are you just kind of exaggerating here? Anyone else reads that suspiciously? I do. Like, no, you're just exaggerating. Like when you, I was accused of eating all the cookies when I probably ate all the cookies. If that's your first reaction, I, I want to invite you to get to your fourth or your fifth reaction. I don't want you to go live evil. I don't want you to go nod towards evil. But sometimes we need to think about it. What is it like when our every inclination as a group, what is it like when our society is just evil continually? In verse 13, we see that God is responding to this overwhelming violence at the time in Genesis 6. Verse 4 is so poetic. It, it, it sets up this world this worldview and this entire world before Noah, it says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God went into the daughters of human who bore children to them, these were the heroes that were of old, the warriors of renown. That sounds poetic, that sounds wonderful, that sounds powerful, yet why do we need warriors already? Who are we fighting? This is page four. Why, why do we need violent heroes already? Like, why are our heroes not like farmers who are cultivating the earth? Artists who are, who are creating as we were designed to create. How come we're already bent towards violence on page four? Though I want to dismiss this idea that there's evil continually. Maybe there was evil continually. And the world was that violent that there were people who were that powerful, that every inclination was only evil continually. We don't talk about evil directly that often, but we do talk about its effects. And I think it's worth looking at. I think it's worth us pondering, not in fear, because I believe Jesus is bigger. I believe that God is is. Not afraid of evil, but evil is having its impact, and we need to look at the Odyssey. Why is that? What is going on here? Like with the oppression, God responds. In verse 6, God says, And the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. He's sorry he made humankind. My first thought is that is harsh. And my second thought is that is so honest, I don't think many of us are that honest. 
I've talked to a few people who are in the midst of like their deepest pain. But if you ask the idea, is there anything you regret? Is there anything you would replace? For some reason in our culture, we've adopted this idea. No, no, there's nothing I would regret. There's nothing I would redo. There's, I would take all of this. And maybe that's the way that we survive. I get that. But no, like I, I would definitely replace when my, my dad died really young. And I would definitely replace when my kids were hurt. I would definitely replace some of these things. I would do it different. They weren't hurt by me, but I would somehow like fly to that location, teleport and, and rescue them from that. Hearing some of your stories, I definitely would show up and try to halt evil there. Definitely. I think of that young man who was shot at the bus stop just a couple months ago. I didn't, that's horrible no matter what, but I didn't realize that his mother is, is the one who served us donuts at Adrian's. Every Sunday morning, we know her. She worshiped with us sometimes. We would do anything. So when God says that he's sorry that he made humankind, I really want, maybe it was so evil that he was sorry he made humankind. Maybe that's it. It grieved God to his heart. This grief, this word for it in Hebrew, if you remember when we were looking at Genesis 3, we looked at the anxiety that was given to Eve, this anxious in labor. You remember this? We talked about it a little bit. And it wasn't just this physical. It was this, she was going to have to live anxious about her, her kids and the process and all of this kind of stuff that, that the man was going to be anxious as he toiled the ground. And there was going to be an anxiety as the ground was cursed, an anxiety over, like, will there be enough? Will I have enough? Will this work? Maybe I need to just plant some more. Maybe I need to just work some more. This anxiety that like we know today, right? The question of will there be enough? We know that now. Well, this grieved to the heart is actually the same root word in Hebrew. God is so affected by the consequence of of evil that he anxiously grieves. To his heart, what is happening to creation? It's not that his power is limited. I don't mean that. But God is so invested in believing in us, believing in what God is doing, that he's anxiously grieving. He's not this distant watchmaker that we've heard of sometimes. He is impacted by our decisions. And so this grief and lament are, are offered and began by God. God is the one who begins grief and lament. And God is without flaw. And so maybe those moments of feeling grief and lament that you feel, that desire to need to have grief about something, the need to lament. Maybe that's your image bearedness. That cry that this should not have happened. 
That's because you're made in the image of the one who grieves and laments when something happens that should not have happened. One of the greatest evils of our culture right now, and Kayvon and I just talked about it, is we do not allow people the speed to stop for a second to grieve or lament. One of the greatest evils is like, no, you just keep going. Live in that anxiety of producing. You've just got to go and outrun grief. No. For a season at least, this house needs to be a safe place for people to grieve and lament. However they do it, however long they do it, however loud they do it, this has to be a safe place for that because I don't know of any others. And as we read the text, God is a God who grieves what is broken and we need to realize that that is your being an image bearer, that you are feeling that the world is not right. That is because you are an image bearer that you feel that. That's not because you're flawed. Amen. Grieving the hurt, oppression, pain, and evil, that is because you're an image bearer. That's not because you're weak or you're flawed. And often this is the most immature part of us because we don't know how or we don't like it or we've never been given a place to practice. But it's safe to go to God with your grief and lament because God feels it too. And God feels this tension of loving his image bearers, this humanity, even when they look nothing like him. Even when we look nothing like him. And God grieves how we live when we forget who we image. This is the love and tension taken all the way to the cross where Jesus is killed But before he dies, Jesus asks that the Father would forgive. He pleads that the Father would would forgive because he's on the cross. And there's nothing more evil. There's nothing that causes more grief. But God's character, God's love goes forward. So this theodicy, the oppression, the constant evil, grief, the, there's got to be ways that we can respond to this, right? And that's what this is meant to be right now for the next few minutes. Uh, maybe there's something for you to put on the clothesline. Maybe there's something that you're grieving or you need to grieve. Maybe there's a per- particular oppression that's on your heart or an evil Write it out as as comfortable as you can. If if you don't feel comfortable writing everything, write something that you would know what it is. And and go ahead and and in a moment, put that on the on the clothesline. And that is some by by putting on the clothesline. What we're saying is we don't have this all figured out. But God, we need your spirit to breathe through this. We need you to make sense of this. We can't. We can't summarize it in a sentence and move on. So we need you. We need to share this with you. We need you to be Emmanuel with us in this. As you put those there, uh, Miss Stephanie is going to be available to pray with you if you would like. Um, then we're also going to have a, a, a couple times for just smaller groups if you're interested right now. Miss Wendy's going to go over this way and in a second. And if you want to just talk about practical stuff here, the practical nature of evil, suffering, oppression, all this. She has some great questions that she's going to walk you through 
this way. If you have questions on the text, the meaning of words, some of the the theological ideas, I don't have answers, but I have other questions and I have a little bit of research. So we'll go this way if you have that. And if you just want to be in this place, you're welcome to just be too. If you need to go, God bless you. We hope to see you again. We're here if you need anything. But let's just let this remain kind of a holy place because I know these are, these are big things, right? We're tackling some big things. God's bigger. It's okay. We can do this. You're safe here. Online, uh, Whitney's going to be walking you through some questions as well if you want to stay on there. Um, and so she's, she's prepped and ready for that as well. We're trying our best to kind of pastor each other through this. And I realize that this is a little bit like opening some wounds for some people. It's a little bit of scary territory. So I'm going to pray for courage. And then um, we'll go into these areas. It's, it's 11.02 right now. Let's say we'll go into those areas. And at 11.15, Wendy and I will, will tell our groups, it, you're free to go if you would like. And then if you want to stay longer, we'll be there. But so you know time-wise, about 15 minutes in, in those groups, okay? It's not another two hours. All right, let's, let's pray. God, I feel like maybe we should have sat in this stuff even more than we did. Like, again, we went too fast just trying to cover things, but Holy Spirit, I know that it's really you who works anyway. We ask that you would continue working. Help us to see as you see. Help us to love as you love and give us courage to face what's in front of us and what's around us. Thanks. In your name, amen.